We're on lesson two. Of course, last week we did not meet last night, or last week because of the horrific storm. Uh, we were going to have our area wide. That didn't happen. We're going to have evening service. That didn't happen. Uh, so here we are, the second week of our study of God's promises. Last was the, uh, two weeks ago was the introduction, sort of overview idea. There are many places to start if we're studying the promises of God, but in some ways the promise of justice underpins all the other promises. Uh, there are a variety of, of Greek words for thinking about the word just, the promise of justice. Variety of Greek and Hebrew words that uh, can be and are at various times translated as justice. Some have to do with legal matters. We think about justice, that's sort of a legal term for us. Uh, as in a verdict or a judgment that's handed down according to what the law demands. Now, of course, we know that laws could be unjust, but the word really has to do with, in some cases, uh, the idea just according to what the law demands. Another variation is words that have to do with what is owed, what is fair. Owe somebody something or fair, uh, what, what a person deserves in, in matters of either trade or debt or balances, right? But thinking about what is owed or what is fair. And then some are more closely tied to the concept of righteousness. In fact, one of the words, especially in the New Testament, that is often translated justice is just as often just translated as righteousness. That is what is right, uh, right and, and good, as opposed to fair, which is not exactly the same thing as right, and legal. Again, not the exact same thing as right, but right and wrong is one of the ways that this word is, is often used. Of course, one of God's fundamental traits is that he is just in all of these senses, right? He is a judge that will hand down judgments according to a particular uh, law or legal code. Of course, it just so happens he is also the giver of the law or the legal code. He is ultimately fair, right? He, is, he gives what is owed and what is deserved. And of course, he is owed and is de uh, deserving of many things. But of course, his standard is what determines right and wrong. His ways, his laws, his nature determines righteousness. So when we think about God, one of his fundamental characteristics is justice. He is just. And the promises of God flow out of his basic characteristics. They flow out of and they fulfill some part of his character or nature. Justice is one of these traits. And as we stated last week, many of the promises of God contain two edges. Hope for those who are enduring patiently and warning for those who are living rebellion, the promise of justice, maybe more than any other promise, highlights this dual nature promises. That there is hope on the one hand and warning on the other. And it's fair to say, I think, that we need all of the other promises that we're going to talk about. A lot of pro I, think, I think I settled on a list of 11 or 12 of the promises that we're going to go through. We need all of those because of this promise. Because of the promise of justice. Now, we'll begin many of these lessons, not all of them, but we will tonight, with an examination just briefly of how justice extends and emanates from God's character. Psalm 9, 7, and 8. The Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice. He judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. We see the mix here of these kinds of words, right? Judgment language, righteousness language, justice. That's what God is going to do, right? His throne is for justice. He will judge. Not just judge unfairly, but in righteousness. Now, there's a little bit of a chicken and an egg situation here. Because, of course, he sets the standard for righteousness, right? He sets that by who he is and his commandments. He judges the people with brightness, that idea of brightness. 
He's given the standard. He's shown what it is. He tells us what it is. And his judgment will be in accordance with that. He's not going to change it last minute. He's not going to bend the rules. He's going to be upright about his judgments. Deuteronomy 32, 34. This is a verse that we often quote in Romans 12. This is the origination of that verse. Is this not laid up in store with me? Up in my treasuries is God speaking. Vengeance is mine and recompense for the time when their foot shall slip for the day of their calamity is at hand and their doom comes upon, uh, comes swiftly for the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants when he sees that their power is gone and there is nothing remaining bond or free. We see the, the balance here, the duality of God's justice on the part of those who are sinning, those who are evil, recompense, vengeance, wrath, but vindication for his people, those who are his servants, compassion. There will be justice, not just punishment, but justice, reward as well. Rewards can be just. Sense of justice is often connected to vengeance. And we, we'll see that a number of times as we go through this. Wrath or punishment or vengeance, those are some different words that are used. And of course, that's one of the main promises of justice. One of the main parts of this promise is... Judgment, destruction, vengeance. And when we think about on the part of the Christian, what we're crying out for, we read it in Revelation many times, what we're crying out for often God's people is justice. Why do you let bad people do these things? Why do you let bad people get away with what they're doing? And God ultimately says, I won't. I won't let them get away with it. There will be justice. Romans 2, 6, and 11, 6 through 11. He will render to each one according to his works, and, and here again, we see the idea of fairness, balance, that what is owed, as we're balancing all of these various ways this word is used, he will render each one according to his works. It's going to be fair to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also to the Greek, for God shows no partiality. The promise of justice is that it is universal, one of the components of this promise. There's no partiality. Jew, slave, free, male or female, he says that in another place. There's, there's no partiality here. Just what is, the, what is the standard? The standard is, are you seeking good? Are you doing good or doing evil? Now, we can see the problem, I think, building up as we identify God's justice. The problem hiding in this promise, the inherent threat, inherent in a promise for justice. This is, of course, one of the main points of Romans. Uh, Romans 3.9. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No at all. We have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no what not no one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Uh-oh. What did he just say? To those who do not obey the truth, those who have sinned, what? Judgment and tribulation and distress? Well, well, who deserves that? If we're thinking about what is fair, what is owed, what is righteous, well, the problem with God's justice is that he demands sin be punished. We get that inherently. We understand that. One of the things we're going to see as we go through these traits of God in a lot of these promises is how they manifest in our own psyches. And we want wrongdoers, especially those who have wronged us, we want them to be punished, right? Doesn't it rankle you a bit 
when people you know do the wrong thing, they get away with it. Probably happened in school fairly early on in your life. Actually, I'm going to say it for those who had siblings, long before school, your sibling did something, you got blamed for it, and what? How dare they? You wouldn't use these languages as a kid, but what you're crying out for is justice, right? That's what you're crying out for. Built into us, because that's how God is. The problem, who has done something worthy of retribution in God's sight? The answer is everyone. We all have. We all deserve distress and tribulation. God is just. There is no partiality. Doesn't matter your background, your race, your history, your socioeconomic status. God's not going to show partiality. If you sin, you deserve wrath. That's just. There. That's right. Hence, the nature of the promise of God is encapsulated in the promise of justice. It is an encouraging promise from a very specific point of view. That is the point of the view of the one who is righteous. For the one who is righteous, then, the promise of justice is great. Because what does it mean? All these people who are oppressing me, all these people who are, who are persecuting me, all these people who are evil and wicked, they're going to get theirs. From that very specific point of view, one who is pleasing to God, one whom does not have to fear the justice of God, yeah, the promise of justice is great. But there's an undercurrent of warning in the promise of justice. You ready for justice. And when we sign up to be Christians, one of the things we're giving our rights to justice. Because ultimately, I don't want justice. I don't want that. I want mercy. I want grace. I want forgiveness. I don't, I don't want justice. Not for myself, at least. For my enemies, well, yeah, you can have justice for them. But definitely not for me, God. I don't want to, I don't want to have justice. I, I want grace and mercy and forgiveness. So that's what I mean when I say the promise of justice underpins a lot of the promises of God. The promises that we need, the promises that we desperately seek and cry out for, are necessary because God is just. And he punishment on the wrongdoer. Now, of course, for the Christian, we'll, we'll switch gears for a minute here. We'll, we'll return to this idea at the end. But for the Christian, those who are seeking God, those who are in his family, those who have forgiveness. We'll talk about the promise of forgiveness in another time, but for those who have forgiveness, what is this promise supposed to provide for us, right? We're thinking about the promises of God, not just in how they apply in what I, my behavior, but what is it for? If he gives us this promise, I will repay. Vengeance is mine. What am I supposed to take from that? What is it supposed to do for me? Well, a couple of things, specifically five. We'll, we'll go through these relatively quickly. 2 Thessalonians 1, 1 through 8, uh, 4 through 8. Therefore, your, uh, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions you are enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to relief to you who are afflicted as well as us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. What is here as Paul's writing this Thessalonians? First, the promise should give us endurance. The promise of justice is not until when? Well, there will be relief. 
There will be affliction for those who have afflicted you, but not till when? Until the Lord is revealed with flaming, with heaven, for, with his mighty angels and flaming fire. The promise of justice in its most pure expression, its most complete expression, is for later. It's one of the promises of the future, which means it's designed to elicit endurance, right? We boast about what? Your steadfastness and faith in your persecutions. You're enduring. That's the good thing. You're enduring under persecutions. Keep enduring. You know it's going to get better. Now, maybe not in this life, but ultimately, God is just. He will repay those who are afflicting you, and he will grant you relief because you are enduring, and you are steadfast, and you are faithful. And again, we see the, the dual nature here because the inherent threat in the promise. He will repay and give relief, so if you endure, you get the relief. But if you don't endure, well, eventually you, you run into the territory of affliction. Don't you? If you fail to endure, if you give up, if you turn to selfishness, if you turn to the world, if you turn to other sources of comfort, well, then you've passed out of the idea of relief and into the idea of affliction. So the promise of justice should give us endurance. We're enduring not until relief comes in this life. We're enduring until relief comes eternally. Romans 12, 17 through 21. We've alluded to this already. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will keep burning coals on his head. Do not be by evil, but overcome evil with good. Second thing the promise of justice should do is help us let go. I'm going to make sure. Yeah, that's working. Uh, the promise of justice should help us let go. I don't need to get my own justice. I want, I want to get my own justice. I don't know. Different people have different ideas about this, and different people are, different, are tempted. Me, at least, my personality, I find it easier to let things go, probably just because I forget them. It's a great thing to have a horrible memory uh, because I, I just don't feel a grudge or I don't feel any need to get vengeance. For some people, this is a big struggle, right? The, the desire to get even, to have vengeance, to get this justice. But what is God saying here? You don't have to worry about it. I'm going to take care of it. You don't have to have justice. I'll make sure justice is done. And how is God going to do that? Well, he's going to do that in a couple of ways. But again, we've already read it. Fundamentally, he's going to do that at the end. And really, when we think about justice... Isn't the goal of the Christian to make sure nobody gets justice? Isn't that our goal? Is to make sure nobody faces justice? Isn't that what I'm trying to do when I evangelize? I'm trying to bring them out of justice into mercy and grace. I'm trying to make sure they don't face the consequences of their actions. That's why what? Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. If your enemy hunger is hungry, feed him. Ultimately, my goal, and again, I, I waived my right to justice when I became a Christian, because now I'm letting go of the things that people have done to me, because I ultimately want them to also not face justice. And I'm leaving that in the hands of God, who will ultimately, he will enact justice. So I don't need to worry about it anymore. I don't need to, I don't need to worry about getting even. I don't need to worry about making sure that everything's right and fair. God's going to take care of that. And if they need to be punished, they will. But ultimately, I should, I should want them not to be punished. I want them to 
be forgiven, to find grace and mercy. One of the ways that God is going to enact his justice is in the next section of Romans, Romans 13.1. Let every person be subject to governing authorities. There is no authority except from God. Those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. Judgment in a dual sense here, judgment from the authorities, but ultimately judgment from God. Rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. He is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. Again, the dual nature of this. He does not bear the sword in vain. He is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. The promise of justice should inform our citizenship. As we think about our interaction with the world, our interaction with earthly governments, fundamentally, one of the main purposes of earthly government at all is justice, right? To enact justice in the world. Fundamentally, to make sure that people feel a sense that justice is coming. Because a lot of people are not going to be persuaded by some future thing that they may or may not believe in in the future. But you know what they will believe in? The guy who's going to put them in jail or, or hand out capital punishment. They'll believe that. So when we think about our interaction with the world and our interaction with earthly governing authorities, as part of God's promise of justice to be enacted ultimately in the future, but also enacted here, I'm what? I'm being a good citizen. I'm being subject to governing authorities. I'm being part of a, a society in a way that I am helping facilitate justice. Because it's ultimately it's not just about the future, it's also about now. Hebrews 6, 9 through 12, though we speak in this way. He's just got done speaking about they need to be teachers. They needed to go back to the fundamentals. We've got to go beyond the fundamentals. And then what happens if you abandon God after you've become a Christian? It's really not great. But he comes here, though we speak in this way, yet in your case we feel sure of better things. That is, you're not going to abandon God. You're going to have better things. Things belonging to salvation. For God is not so unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for the name in serving the saints as you still do. We desire each one of you to have the same earnestness, to have full assurance of hope until the end. And at the end here, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherited the promises. The fourth thing the promise of justice should do is motivate obedience. And it motivates obedience. Why? Because I understand ultimately, even though my obedience may feel like it's not accomplishing anything, it is. What is it accomplishing ultimately? I may never know, but God knows and he will reward. He's not unjust. He sees what we're doing. He sees how we're behaving. And so ultimately we need to not what? Not be sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Who are those people? He's going to talk about it in chapter 11. We're not going to read it tonight. But that's the whole point of Hebrews 11, right? These people, men and women, who had faith, who endured, who obeyed what God wanted them to obey, did what God wanted them to do to the best of their ability, and at the end they were rewarded, and of course the end of Hebrews 11, we get the better thing. Better than anything they got is coming for us. It's this, that God is not so unjust as to overlook what we're doing. The promise of justice should motivate our obedience. Finally, the promise of justice should elicit Worship. Revelation eleven fifteen 15 through 18. 
Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet. There were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. The 24 elders who sit on the thrones before their God fell on their faces and worshiped God saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came. And the time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, for those who fear your name, both great and small, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. What did they do when they recognized God's justice? They fell down and worshipped. Ultimately, one of the things that should motivate our worship every week, even your worship at home, is you know God will bring justice. We thank him for that. We praise him for that. We honor him for that. We honor him not just because of what he will do, but because of who he is, because of his very nature as righteous and fair and just. Should elicit worship. It should be something that we're thinking about as we worship, and it should cause us to worship, knowing that God will ultimately punish evil. I don't have to take care of that, but knowing that ultimately it was his willingness to do more than be just in providing grace and forgiveness that leads me into worshiping him. So the promise of justice should give us endurance. It should help us let go of wanting to get even. It should inform our citizenship, how we interact with earthly authorities. It should motivate obedience, ultimately, that I, I want to stay in the mercy and grace of God and not fall under justice. It should elicit worship, but finally, it should also engender a bit of fear. Maybe not a bit of fear, maybe a lot of fear, depending on how you're acting. We know that God will repay evil, and as Christians, we know that we've committed evil, evil and so this is the last verse we'll read. 1 Peter 1.13 Therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, I, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially, he is just according to each one's deeds. That is what we're calling on him. God, give us relief. God, give us justice. God, punish the evildoer. God, bring us salvation. We're calling on him, but what? Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Knowing you were ransomed from your feudal ways, the fear should bring us out of those feudal ways, right? We're not conformed to the passions of our former ignorance. We're giving those things up. What? In, in some ways because of fear. Because I know God is just. And I know justice is coming. So I'm not being conformed to the passions of my former ignorance. I'm, I'm not going back to the feudal ways because I don't want justice. I want the grace that will be brought to me at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Not with the perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ we were ransomed, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Thus the promise of justice serves as the foundation for future promises. It's great that God's going to bring justice, but we need more. We need better than justice. Fortunately, God is willing to provide that. And that's what we're going to see as we go through the rest of the promises, that God is willing to go above and beyond simple justice, into grace, mercy, 
forgiveness, transcendental attributes. 